I am so glad that you are here this morning, and I hope, of course, uh, as Greg already said, thank you for Greg and those that lead him for lead lead with him and uh, leading us in worship. And I always I have said thank you, Mark, and those and hitting record. So I don't know, maybe Greg just stops listening. But anyways, I'm glad that you're here. This morning, I uh, hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can open up, something that you can turn on. We're going back to the book of 2 Peter this morning. We're going back to 2 Peter. We're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to make your way there, scroll your way there to 2 Peter chapter 2. Always feel free to use the table of contents at the very front of your Bible. That's why it's there. If you have a hard time finding which, where is 2 Peter, because it's only, it's only three chapters. So it might be easy for you to move past or move beyond, 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 is going to be the text we're going to be looking at this morning. And also hope when you came in you got a bulletin from Ron, whoever when you came in on the back of that there'll be some notes. If you want to use that during our time together in the Word, but we're 2 Peter, we're going to be at. Before we kind of took a break for a couple of Sundays looking at Easter and Resurrection Sunday, we were walking through the first, pe- the first chapter of 2 Peter. We had walked through 1 Peter a little while back as a church family, and then we are coming back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, as already said, only has three chapters, and the content of what Peter is trying to get to is he wants to remind them, and, and we saw this in chapter one, he reminds them of who they are as a church. Now he's writing to, if some of you have forgotten, he's writing to a young church. And I'm not talking young chronologically speaking. I'm talking young as far as in where their walk, their journey of faith is. And so he's writing to a pocket, to a group of believers in what is considered modern day Turkey, a group of believers that there were a few Jews, but mostly Gentiles. And so there was a a body of believers there that had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as they're there in this context, and they're still surrounded by a lot of Roman rule, they're still surrounded by a lot of effects of the the old covenant Jewish tradition. They're uh, surrounded uh, on all sides by pagan worship, by idolatry, by the occult. And so you have this body of new in their faith believers and they're trying to understand what does it look like to be a faithful Christian? What does it look like to be a faithful church? What does it look like to be faithful to God in the midst of their current circumstances. So first Peter, there's five chapters in first Peter and he talks about what this looks like. Well, after he wrote that letter, then he writes a second letter. Peter does. He writes a second letter to this early church to give them more instruction, to give them more encouragement, to give them more direction of how it is that they live a faithful Christian God honoring life in the midst of their current circumstances. Sometimes we come to the Word of God and sometimes we think, well, the Word of God is dated. It is not applicable to my life. And it tells me a story about people a long time ago, but it doesn't have any relevancy for me today. And yet there is all throughout the pages of Scripture that I could take you to, and specifically where we're at this morning, that there is all kinds of relevancy and application to God's Word to our world today. Because we are a people here at FBC Wellston, we are a people struggling through this idea, struggling through navigating what does it look like to be faithful? What does it look like to be obedient? What does it look like to be the church in 2022? And the words that Peter tells to the people then are still words that ring true to us today. 
So he starts in chapter one, and I'm just gonna kind of recap here. He starts in chapter one, and he reminds the church of their identity. And specifically, he reminds them there in verse three that they have all things pertaining to godliness. They have all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so he lay these out. And we've already walked through these together, but he lays them out and says, this is who you are. As a Christian, you have everything you need. You have the spirit inside of you. You have a savior above you. You have a God who loves you, and you have the word before you. You have everything that you need to live a life of godliness. The question is, is will you use the tools that God has given you for the purpose for which God has given them? So he talks about in chapter one, talks about identity. Now he's gonna get in chapter two and chapter two is all about the danger and the threats that are all around the church. And we'll, we'll dive into that in a moment. And then you get to chapter three and he reminds them of the future that awaits ahead of them and the hope that they have for the future that is to come. But here in chapter two, he's gonna talk about some of the threats and some of the dangers that the church has around them. Now, they may try to pull out names and they try to, may, try to, may to pull out uh, descriptions, but he says there is, there is danger, spiritual danger, spiritual threats all around the church. And, the, and, and the, the problem that Peter is writing into is that there was a people then, the same as there are people now, that have become comfortable with danger. They have become comfortable with issues around them. They'd become complacent with the threat, not just inside their house, but outside their house. They become naive to the consequences. They become callous to the results of what could happen if they did not maintain a vigilance against the spiritual battles around them. And you know, the day in which we're living in today, it's very easy for you and I to get lulled into this idea that the danger isn't as real as it used to be. You're a 16 year old and you, and you start driving for the first time and everybody's worried because oh my goodness, that person is driving for the first time and, and you're driving, if I can remember that long, it's driving and everything is new and everything is fresh. And then you get later on in life and it seems like mundane and now you're sitting there and you're arguing with, you're, you're fighting with kids and you're arguing with the wife and you're playing on your phone and you're driving down the road. The dangers haven't changed but the way that you perceive the dangers have changed. Let me give you an example. An example from medicine, if you will. There's a common medicine that is out there that I don't wonder when was the last time you talked about the warnings on medicine. Uh, it was the early 90s whenever many of your pharmaceutical companies started doing the direct-to-consumer advertising. And so that is why now you have on your television, you have all of these commercials for this medication and this medication and that medication. And at the end of every commercial, there's always a disclaimer. Do not take this medication if you go, and do not and consult your doctor if you've got blah, 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 blah. And all of these disclaimers are out there and oftentimes we just want the remedy without the concern of the side effects or the negative parts of it. Let me give you an example. There's a, a very popular medicine in this world and I'm not gonna give you the name to the very end but this medicine is used to treat diarrhea, nausea, heartburn, indigestion, gas, or upset stomach. According to the recommendation from the FDA, you should not use this medicine if you have bleeding problems, a stomach ulcer, blood in your stools, or if you're allergic to aspirin or other salicylates. No. Salicylates. Man, I practiced that and I still bumbled it. Salicylates, salicylates, salicylate, whatever, whatever. Some big pharmaceutical $10 word. Wagon wheel, do not if you are allergic to this particular condition. It says do not give this medicine to a child or a teenager with a fever, flu symptoms, or chickenpox. 
You should not use this medicine if you are allergic to it or if you have. And how do you know if you're allergic to it if you haven't taken it? How? Do not, if you have, do not take it if you're allergic to it or if you have black or bloody stools, a stomach ulcer, bleeding problems, or if you are allergic to solicitates. No, I'm still off. I'm still off. Ah, it's okay. So, solicitates such as aspirin. I'm just going to say it wrong. Solicitates such as aspirin, Dones Extra Strength, Salflex, Prickasol. I'm butchering these all up, aren't I? And, and, and others. So it says, if you've got these allergic problems, then don't take any of this medicine. It goes on and it says, ask a doctor or a pharmacist if this medicine is safe to use. If you have mucus in your stools or if you currently have a fever. Who looks in their stools to look for mucus? Get emergency medical help if you have signs of an allergic reaction. Hives, difficulty breathing, swelling of your face, lips, tongue, or throat. Stop taking this medicine and call your doctor at once if changes in behavior with nausea and vomiting, hearing loss or ringing your ears, diarrhea lasting longer than two days, or worsened stomach symptoms. This medicine can cause you to have a black or darkened tongue. This is a harmless side effect. Common side effects include constipation or dark colored stools. This is not a complete list of side effects and others may occur. Call your doctor or medical call your doctor for medical advice about side effects. Now I don't know about you, but if I was to read through all of this and then you were to say, Spence, do you want some Pepto Bismol? I would probably say, no, thank you, I'll pass. And there's a lot of medicine in this world today that we just take and we just assume that it is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to clear an upset stomach. It's supposed to to help with my diarrhea. It's supposed to help these things. And so you take that nice little, some of you young people have no idea what Pepto-Bismol is, but you take that nice little purple liquid and you drink it and you think, oh, it's better. And we never even think about the dangers or the threats that are out there. And there's lots of medicines like that in this world today that a lot of times we will take the medicine, but if we actually took the time to read the label, to read the danger, to read the threat, it might change our attitude in what we are putting into our bodies. Hint, hint. But there's a danger. There's a danger, there's a threat that's even much more than that on the spiritual level, and it's all around us. And so what Peter is doing this morning is Peter is going to address the threats that is relevant and real and realistic and present to all believers today. And what I want us to do is I don't want us to leave here being negative. I don't want you to leave here going, well, that's just a downer. I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking, oh, all is lost. Oh my goodness, the world is coming to an end. We, we're, not, we're not chicken littles around here. Why? Because last Sunday we were, right, we were celebrating an empty tomb. We know that our Savior lives. We know that our Savior has won the victory. We know that all of these things are secured. But at the same time, in the present day, in the present day that we're in, there is still a spiritual battle happening around us. And we would be remiss to just assume that the spiritual battle is not involving us. So notice these dangers, notice these threats as I put there in your notes that Paul or that Peter addresses. Let me read for you, uh, read into your hearing, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And then let's, let's just walk through these three verses, these three uh, concise verses, and let's talk about these threats that Peter identifies that is present and real for all of us believers today. He writes in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, But false prophets also rose among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. 
bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. I pray that God would add understanding and application to his word this morning. In just these three short verses, Peter is going to address the danger. He's going to address the threat that is there in that present church, in that circumstance, in that, that, that context, and in that culture. And I would submit to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that the same threat is around this church and your home and in our lives today. The first threat is that of fake news. That of fake news. Now, I realize that fake news was not something that anybody thought about until about four or five years ago. But it was something that we just assumed until about five or six years ago. We just assumed we, we uh, associated news with truth. We associated news with fact. We assumed that if somebody said it in a news-like fashion, that must mean it was true. But it wasn't that long ago when politic politicians start coining this word fake news. And it encapsulates this idea that even though you have news... There's a lot of news that claims to have information, claims to make promises, or gives you what they consider to be their facts, and then when you investigate it, it's not true. That's what Peter is talking about. Peter is saying, but false prophets arose among the people. He's talking back to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's talking back to his opportunity and his time being one of the 12 apostles with Jesus. He said there was false teachers in. And then he says in verse one, just as there will be, this is a future, this is a promise. He says for the people that he's writing to, there will be, not may be, not could be, not might be. He said there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresy. He is saying that not only do you have fake news, but you have false teachers. Now you have this uh, talked about as a false prophet. A prophet was somebody that would stand up and then still we ha still have prophets today. Prophets are somebody that stands up and they claim to speak as a spokesperson for the word of God or for the things of God. In the Old Testament, you had examples of people prophesying and that is foretelling the future. I don't, I don't hold that there's any more prophesying that happens today, but you still have people, prophets from God that will still speak up and stand up and they will say, thus saith the word of God. And then they will teach, they will explain, they will show, they will bring people around the word of God to show them. And so he says, you're going to have these false prophets, just like they had false prophets before Jesus, during Jesus' time, and after Jesus' time. Peter says, you are going to have these false teachers. They are going to be around you. And in 2022, we have dump truck loads full of false teachers. Turn on your television, you can find false teachers. Turn on your radio, you can fall, find false teachers. Turn on social media, you can have false teachers. So Peter is saying, do remember, do understand, there is such a thing as people who claim to be speaking to God, but are not speaking for God, they're only speaking for themselves. So the question is, is how do you know who is a false teacher and who is a true teacher? Well, he tells you there in the text, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresy. In other words, what I put there in your notes, they are bringing about deconstructing beliefs. 
If you think about a building or, or any kind of a structure, then you start putting it together piece by piece by piece. You're constructing a building. You're constructing a structure. Well, these people come in, and it's not a new heresy, but they call it deconstruction is a the terminology they're using today, or higher criticism. And they're coming in there, and they're looking to pick apart this whole story of Jesus, this whole story of the gospel, this whole story of the truth found in God's word. And a heresy that he talks about there in verse 1 is nothing more than just a lie about a truth or a manipulation of the truth or a compromised comprom a compromise of the truth. He is saying there is people that are coming in and are saying Jesus isn't the only way to God. Yeah, you can get saved by praying to Jesus, but also, you know what, if you send me $50, that'll get you to God too. Well, you know what, if you just try hard enough, you know, and if you just want to good enough and you just want to be good enough and you just want enough and if you just think hard enough, God will understand and God will accept that. Well, you know, ultimately because God loves us, everybody eventually goes to heaven. And they will bring in manipulations. They will question the creational order of God. They will question the salvific plan of God. They will question the goodness of God. They will question the atonement and the penal substitution of Jesus Christ. They will question everything that Christ taught and try to insert a humanistic way of believing that you are the answer, that you have the answer within yourself, and you are the source of your own solutions. And it's heretical. And it's heresy. And it leads people down a path of destruction. They are deconstructing what the Bible says, inserting their own experience and their own opinions, taking God's word out of context. And it says there in verse one, you have these false teachers giving fake news, that destructive heresies, and bringing upon themselves, the last part of verse one, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. In other words, there is a self-inflicted death. Sometimes you'll see with these boys in our house, they'll have these ideas in their head, something they want to build, something they want to do. And as their father, I look at them and go, that's not going to work. <laughs> Dad, you don't know. And they'll go about it anyways. They want to build a fort or they want to build a tree house or they, or they want to build something out of Legos or they want to balance something up. And they look at me and I say, boy, that, that dog won't hunt. And they just look at me like, you really don't know what you're talking about, Dad. Well, you know what? I've, I've been around a little bit longer than you. I've got two right now with braces. And, and part of these braces ideal is they're supposed to uh, chew on this little bite stick to help their teeth move. And so I'm looking at this, this precious 12-year-old. I'm saying, you need to follow the orthodontist recommendations. He said, you don't know. I know what this back of this hand feels like. And it's one of those things that you sit there and you're looking around and you see people, especially us parents and us grandparents, you see these children and they're making bad decisions. They are making uh, ill-informed decisions. They're making immature decisions. They're just making dumb decisions. You're looking at them and going, you know what? That's not the best way. I can tell you, I've been there. I've done that. I know. And those children will look at you going, oh no, we're going to keep trying it our own way. I wonder how many times God looks down upon us and says, I already told you that's not going to work. I already told you that's not the way. 
I already told you that's not the what I want you to do with your life. I've already told you that that is a dangerous proposition. I've already told you that that will lead to sin and destruction. I have already told you what I expect from your life. I have already told you not to do that. And yet we in our humanity, we in our immaturity, and because we're listening to the wrong source of news in this world today, we go around and say, well, Joyce Meyer said to do it. Well, Jesse Duplantis said to do it. Well, Kenneth Copeland said to do it. On and on and on. Joel Osteen said to do it, and we start coming with all these ideas because we're listening to false teachers giving us fake news, and so we have a skewed, wrong view of God, and it leads us down a self-destructing path. So Paul says, or Peter, (laughs) Peter says, be on guard. There's false teachers all around you. They will come, and they will bring in destructive Heresies. So not only do you have the first threat of that being fake news, because the problem is, well, then who do I listen to? Where do I get my information? What do I do? Well, there's a second threat that Peter talks about, and that is deceived followers. Deceived followers. You see this there in verse two. He says, and many will follow their sensuality. He says there are gonna be many people that those false teachers, that those false prophets, there are gonna be many people that good that stood up and did not speak the word of God, but spoke the word of themselves. There's gonna be many people that get up and when they say these things, there's gonna be all these people that go, yeah, I agree with that. I'm willing to do that. I wasn't around then. I don't think I was even born then. But you had the big old story from Jonestown. All these people, was it Jim Jones, I believe his name was, all these people, they get up, believe in this person, they all go down there to South America, they all drink the Kool-Aid, they all die, and somebody from the outside looks at it and goes, well, how could they do that? Because they believed the person that was there. And brothers and sisters, you and I are not immune from being duped by people of our peers. I struggle. Now stuff on social media, I struggle with all the different ideas and theories out there. Corey and I were talking about before service about you you can get on the rabbit hole. And if you want to find someone to agree with you, there's someone out there on the internet that agrees with you. And that has a blog post, that has a website, that has an article, and you can get there and you can start chasing these uh, trends back and forth. There was a, a video that was posted, I think, two weeks ago called Watch the Water. And I watched this and the whole premise was is that snake venom was the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic and all of these things about how they're poisoning us with the, the snake venom through the drinking supply water. And I'm watching this and I'm listening to this and I'm going, I don't know what to believe. I I, I don't know what to listen to. I I just don't know what is true. I don't know what is up. I don't know what is down. I don't know where it's at. Toby looks at me and goes, you're an idiot. And other family members are like, well, I I really don't know what's going on with it. But it's one of those things that's hard to know because we have so much information out there trying to identify what is true, what is not true, what is right and what is wrong is difficult. And so what Peter says is be careful. You will have followers who will be deceived. They will be deceived. And what they will do is, is they will follow follow the people. They will follow the false teachers. They will follow the fake news. Why? Because of the side effect of sin. You may say, well, Spence, what is the side effect of sin? Well, every time you and I sin, our ability to think clearly and to think spiritually is compromised. That's what sin is. God tells us, you shall not do this. God tells us, you shall do that. And in our humanity and in our selfishness, our sinfulness, we go, hmm, let me think about this. I'm going to choose my way when we know God says, don't do it. And it's the side effect of sin. We have compromised our values. We have 
faulty thinking. And so you have these people right here in verse two and they realize, they said, you know what? That person is going in that way. I want to follow them. Why? Because of their sensuality. Sensuality is not something to be uh, crude or immoral. Sensuality is just saying they wanted the pleasure. They wanted the fun. You look around this world today and you see a lot of lost people and they're having a really, really good time. And you're like, I want some of that. I want to have a little bit of fun. I want to enjoy what they're enjoying. I want to laugh at what they're laughing at. I want to see what they're seeing. I want to go where they're going. And you have all of this worldliness out there that you and I are looking at and going, you know what? I want a little bit of that. And here in God's word, Peter says that you have many following their sensuality because of them, the way of truth is blasphemy. He said, because you have people following after false teachers, you have deceived followers under the sway of the effect of sin, following after them, this whole idea of what is right and what is wrong, what is up and what is down, what is true and what isn't true gets twisted. And then you know there's all kinds of conflict because you go to church with somebody and then you leave out of church and that person that you leave out of church with practices this kind of lifestyle and you're sitting there going, well, is this right or wrong? And then you come to church and you see other people and you know what they were doing on Friday night. You know where they're at on Saturday night and you start asking yourself the question, well, is that okay or isn't it okay? And then we have all a kinds of uh, consternation within the church of God because we have people going, well, if they can do it, can I do it? If I can't do it, why are they doing it? And we go back and forth because we've lost this basis because we have a lot of people, even in the church today, that are deceived followers. They're following after this fake news, after this false teaching, and the way of truth is now relative. So Peter says, they're deceived followers because the side effect of sin, but not just that, because the power of the flesh. They want what they want what they want. You get around a child very long and you realize that child will throw a fit. And that child, because that child wants something, and when that child doesn't get what they want, they think that they will get it by throwing a tantrum. And unfortunately, we have too many parents today that are not willing to discipline the child, they wanna placate the child, so they give the child the thing for which the child is throwing a fit, and they wonder why the second time around the child continues to throw a fit. It's because you didn't discipline the child the first time, you placated the child, the child picks up on this, and the child says, I know what I need to do, I just need to throw a fit until I get my way. We have a lot of people in the church today and when it comes to God, they think they're just going to throw a fit till God gives them what they want. And they're driven by this power of the flesh and they have this justification of their desire. They can justify anything they so choose. We have people today that walk around and you say, well, how can you do this? How can you do that? And there's all of these scriptural, spiritual personal gymnastics about all these different ways that they can justify whatever lifestyle they want. And I wonder how many of the times we're just a dog chasing a ball. You ever play that game where you got the dog and you're playing fetch with the dog and you take that ball and you throw it and the dog runs over there and the dog's all excited because it got the ball and it brings you back the ball and you're like, oh, that's a good dog, that's a good dog. Pick up the ball again, you throw the ball again, the dog takes off and then after a while this, you're like, you know, I'm just gonna be a jerk to the dog. So you take the ball and you act like you throw it you don't do anything. And that dog bits around. That dog doesn't know what's going on. That dog's like, well, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? And, then, and the dog's just like flipped out because it didn't know what happened to the ball. It didn't know where the ball went. Sometimes if you have a really rookie dog, that dog still takes off and it goes around and it's like. And then you just see the look on his face like, oh, you tricked me. 
And here comes the dog. And then once you do this enough times with the dog, the dog goes from going and chasing for a ball that you didn't throw to now all of a sudden being excited by your side because it thought you threw the ball. And eventually, if you do this long enough, you throw the ball and the dog just looks at you like, gotcha. Seen this before. And I wonder how many times Satan takes that ball. Takes that ball of possessions. Takes that ball of success takes that ball of approval from other people, takes that ball of desires and hopes in your life, and he throws that ball and you and I take off chasing. And all he's doing is keeping you and I distracted. And all he has you and I doing is running in circles. And all he has you and I doing is chasing a lot of things that really have no eternal significance. And Satan just has us throwing the balls. And then you can just imagine if all of a sudden come to our lives and Satan just takes out a whole box of balls and throws a whole box of balls and seeing how, every, how many Christians he can get to just scatter. Because he has us chasing the wrong things. So Peter says there's a danger, there's a threat. You have fake news, you have deceived followers. Then you see there in verse three, he talks about naive churches. Naive Churches, he says, in their greed. Whose greed? In the greed of the false teachers. In the greed of the false prophets. In the greed of those that are pronouncing and those that are spreading this heretical teaching. In their greed. Why would they be greedy? Because they're wanting to profit from other people. How much of the world's problems are based upon greed? One of these other rabbit holes I got stuck in was that not only... <laughs> That when you had the pharmaceutical companies profiting from the ills and the, the, the concerns of the pandemic, how much is a conflict of interest on who's creating the crisis and who is creating the cure, the cure? Who is creating the chaos and who is coming up with the solution? And one of these rabbit holes got, got me stuck on this idea. Do you know that you have the right hand causing the crisis and the, second, the, the left hand causing the cure and you wonder that they're both connected and they're both keeping us just brooding, moving around in circles after circles after circles. So Peter says, Peter says when it comes to these false teachers, they will exploit you. They will exploit you. Why? Because they're greedy. They want your money. They want your, they want your acclaim. They want things for themselves. And they will exploit you with false, false words. These false teachers will come in to the churches and they will lead the churches astray. They'll lead the churches into false doctrine. They'll lead the churches into denying the word of God. Now I realize that you, like me, like so many other, others before us, we will say this line. It won't happen in this church. Oh, it won't happen in here. Oh, no, we're grounded. We're, we're, too, we're too biblically straight and narrow. Oh, it won't happen in this church. And Peter is writing to them and saying, you know what? There is nobody immune from the threat of false teaching. There is nobody that is exempt from the power of deceptive lies. There is nobody that comes in that says, I will not be bothered. So he says, he says, be careful, be careful, naive churches. Be careful thinking that this won't happen here, but understand that there is the threat. There is the danger. There is the opportunity for Satan always looking for a way, a crack, a hole to get his tentacles, to get his roots, to get his false teachers into the people of God, to bribe them apart and to lead them down to a path of destruction. But he reminds them, he reminds them that this idea that these people are there, do not be deceived. God doesn't revise truth. 
And part of the world out there says, well, you know what? We just need to stay with the times. We just need to get with the times. And you have ministries and you have churches out there that have become fixated on the attendance. They've become fixated on the numbers. They, they become fixated on the money, the budgets, the building. They become fixated on these things and they stop thinking about the spiritual growth aspect. They stop thinking about what has God said. And so you start chasing attendance, you start chasing numbers, and then you start adjusting by saying, well, you know what? We just gotta be relevant. We just gotta be applicable. We have to be up with the times. We need to understand God does not revise truth. If God said it was a sin 2,000 years ago, it's still a sin today. And if God said you should not do that, shall not do that 2,000 years ago, his word is still true today. God has not changed his commands. Well, Spence, that's not very popular. I know it's not very popular. Well, Spence, that's not going to win friends and influence people. I, I get that. I get that. But what are we going to base our belief what are we going to base our spiritual lives on? Changing testimonies? Shifting sands? Wavering witnesses? The opinions of other people? I get so tickled I keep seeing in the politics, I keep seeing a new presidential poll and oh, President Biden, here's his approval rating. Da, 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 da. And I'm just thinking, you know what? Who cares about the stinking polls? We can get so inundated. I remember seeing one time on a billboard and it said 37.6% of statistics can be made to say anything you want. And, and I find myself going, well, why does it matter? And you know, and sometimes even in the life of the church, it's like we just need to have a public opinion poll and see what you all want to do and that's what we're going to do. And I come back and I say, you know what? What you all want to do is important and valuable and I'm willing to listen. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you all or me want to do. What matters is what God says to do. And ultimately, at the end of the day, when it comes to you, husband, or you, wife, or you as your families, or you with your kids, at the end of the day, it does not matter what Dr. Phil or what Dr. Dobson says or anybody else says. What matters is what the Word of God says. And what does God say we're supposed to do with our lives? And how God says we're supposed to structure our lives? And how does God say we're supposed to order our lives in the days in which we live? And Peter is saying that it, this, this idea of these, these false truths and these false heresies and these compromises and these manipulations and these capitulations and these just giving in and giving a little bit and giving a little bit and just softening it up and don't be such a hardliner and all these things the world tries to get you and I to buy into to get you and I to compromise on the truth. Peter comes in and reminds us that God does not reveal truth. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, last part of verse three, he says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. The judgment that God handed out on the false teachers and the false prophets, the judgment that he said, you will be held accountable by God, God is saying, that's still there. You live your own life, doing your own thing for your own purpose, for your own pleasure. You're still gonna answer before God one day and you will still give an account to God for one day. And he says, he reminds me that God has not, does not revise truth and that God's justice is true. That's the very part of verse three. He says, and their destruction is not asleep. He reminds the church, Peter is reminding the church that, hey, you know what? These false teachers, these false prophets, these false, this fake news that is out there, do not be deceived. They will answer to God and they will be held accountable to God. There's so much talk these days about justice. And there's less talk about who defines what is just. We gotta be just. 
We gotta have a system of justice. We gotta be mindful about justice. And I, and I, think, I think that we have a command from God to love God and love our neighbors. We have a command from God on how to treat one another. We have mandates and we have God's word that tells us how we are to interact with one another, not just in the church, but outside the church. Yes, those are true. And yes, those are very real. But at the same time, when it comes to the end of the day, who is defining justice? My fear is that so many of these people, so many of these social justice or these justice uh, proponents, they want to use a man-made definition of what is just. And what is just today it's not the same definition of what it was just according to man 100 years ago or will be from 100 years from now. So Peter wants to remind them that when it comes to the church that we are not to follow the fake news, we're not to follow the bouncing balls, we're not to follow all of the deception that's in this world today, we are to be looking for God's word. Now you may say, well, Spence, then what is the good news in any of this? Well, let me give you some good news. <coughs> the good news starts with this. We have the truth. We have the truth. All of fake news, all of fake prophets, all of false teachers, it is all premised on the idea that they come in and they say, well, let me tell you what is right. Let me tell you what is true. Let me tell you what to believe. But the reality that we have the truth. Where do we have that at, Spence? You have it right in front of you. It's called the Bible. It's called the Bible. And within the Bible, you find God's word to his creation that reveals himself to us. It tells us how to live. It tells us how to structure our lives. It tells us how to be faithful in our following after him. It tells us what we are to do. It tells us when we're to go, when we're not to go. It tells us how to respond. It tells us how to organize and prioritize our lives. It gives us direction and guidance on how to live faithfully in this world. It's called a Bible, a Bible. We have the truth. And within this Bible, it tells us, it tells us about our sin, about our sin problem. It tells us that every single one of us has sinned against the holy God. Every single one of us have sinned and the penalty, Romans chapter six, the penalty of this, this sin is death. And when you die in your sin, the Bible tells us you will go to hell forever. There's eternal hell destined for those that die in their sin. I didn't make that up. This isn't an idea that I'm trying to promote. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But then the Bible also tells us those that recognize that they're a sinner and they recognize that God sent his son Jesus to die for their sins, that they can confess their sins, repent of their sins, ask Jesus to save them from their sins and the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on a cross, when he was put in the tomb, was buried for three days and arose on the third day, what we celebrated last Sunday. The Bible tells us when he did that, he defeated death, he paid the price for my sins and now he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me so that if I repent and I turn from my sins, I can be forgiven of my sins and I can have the promise, the hope, the assurance of eternal life with him forever. That's called heaven. Where did I come up with that idea? I didn't come up with that idea. The Bible says it because the Bible is the truth. The Bible is the truth about right and wrong, between morality and immorality, between everything that we have, so many false teachings, so much fake news, so many false teachers, we have the truth. Not just that we have the truth, but we can know the truth. We can know the truth. There's some things that Toby can do with numbers that I don't have any clue how to do. There's some things that some of you all can do at your workplaces that I have no idea how to do. There's some things that you all, some talents, some abilities, some skills that you all have that quite frankly, I don't have it. But you know there's something that all of us can know? 
the word of God. And what an indictment it is until the modern day that we're in that when we know more how to navigate and operate on social media than we do how to navigate and operate in our Bibles. You may say, well, Spence, I don't understand it. Well, because you haven't read it. There's so many different translations out there on different reading levels and different ways of comprehension. You may say, well, I don't get it. Well, there's so many different videos out there, so much stuff that is available electronically, virtually, that you're able to get people to teach you, people to instruct you, people to help you learn, people to help you understand. Well, I don't, still don't get it. I still don't understand it. That's just a cop-out. That's just an excuse. Just say, I'm lazy, and I'd rather follow the world in my sensuality. I'd rather follow this world and their fake news. I'd rather follow the things that are gonna lead to destruction, not the things of God. We can know the truth. Why? Because the truth is right in front of us. But in order to do that, you've got to get into the truth. You've got to read the truth. And I don't know about you, but many times I get into this word and it brings conviction to my life. It makes me think, man, you know, if I just hadn't read this this morning, I'd be having a much better day. Let me give you an example. I know I'm running short on time, but I want to give this to you. The last part in, in 1 Corinthians, I was reading in my Bible reading just the other day. And it gets to the point that he is talking, Paul is talking. In chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians, and he says, So I do not run aimlessly, and I'm not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now it says that confession is bad for the reputation, but good for the soul. So let me just tell you, as I'm reading this, and he says, but I discipline my body and keep it, under self, or keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Some people will look at this just being in a physical, physique type way. And I read this and the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, this also deals with anger. This also deals with the errant thoughts in your mind. It also deals with your road rage. This also deals with your sarcasm, it also deals with your cynicism, it also deals with your attitude that you have amongst other peoples, this idea of keeping my body under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Spence, how many times have you stood in front of people and told them that they should live in a way that you're not living? It's tough when you read God's word. Because God's word show you the way that you should live. So the good news is that we have the truth. The good news is that we can know the truth. And here's the last piece and we'll be done. The last part of good news that I want you to think about is that we can share the truth. We can share the truth. We have God's word. We can know God's word. And because we have God's word and because we know God's word, we can then share God's word. We can tell people, here's the reason why I'm living the way that I'm living. Here's the reason why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Here's the reason why I act the way I act. Here's the reason why I value the things that I value. Here's the reason why I'm spending my time the way I'm spending it. Because I want to share with you the truth. I want to share with you God's word. Or if you have those friends, you have those family members, you have those coworkers, and you know they're lost, you know they're headed in the wrong direction, and you can go to them and say, let me tell you what God's word says. So many times we are letting the fake news and the false teachers around us speak louder than us. How dare we? How dare we as a church get in position that the false teaching in this community is louder than the word of God? At some point, at some point, I believe that we're going to answer to God as a church one day for not just what we did say, but also what we 
didn't say. Mike is a year old, and if he gets a stool out, and he gets up on that stove, the top of the stove is on, he gets up there and he was to touch the top of that stove, not only is he going to hurt, not only is he going to be burned, not only is there going to be all kinds of problems, but then if I take him someplace and we come to church and his hand's all bandaged up and you're all like, well, what happened to Micah? Oh, he burned his hand. Well, how did he burn his hand? He burned it on the hot stove. Well, Dad, did you not tell him not to touch the stove? No, I just figured he could figure it out on his own. Y'all would look at me like I'm a moron. And I would be. How many lost people are in this community that we know that are headed for hell and we're not saying a word to them? How many of you in this room know that if today was your final day and you know that today you were to stand before God, you would spend an eternity in hell and you're not doing anything about it? How many of us in this room at this moment are more familiar and more in tune to the fake news and the false teachers around us and less in tune to the truth? God's word. How many of us are naive to the threat we're under? You bow your heads with me.